could we soon be facing a crime wave of cuddly criminals? And then we travel to Connecticut to meet five teenagers with attitude out practicing their martial arts late one night. They thought they were just going to have some fun throwing kicks in the air. Instead, they go toe-to-toe with the demonic force today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover here. So we're going to get started. We got some breaking news coming. But first off, I want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Tommy Davidson. Tommy, thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really helps out a lot. You're going to be driving us around. You're going to be our captain this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, totally get it, totally understand. Just help get the word out about the show. That also really, really helps out a lot. Let people know online. Let people know in person. That all helps. Tommy, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to take a little flight. This is a breaking story. I didn't plan on doing this, but it just popped up today. Let's go ahead and fly on over to... Rochester, Indiana. That's the dirigible flying over. We're not going to be here long, so, you know, take your tourist pictures now. If there's anything to see in Rochester, Indiana, I'm not for sure. But we're here because these two numbskulls, John L. Schultz IV, that means there was three preceding this guy, the three stooges and then this guy, and then Donald V. Robin Jr. Allegedly, allegedly, these two guys decided to shoot up two schools. These two idiots thought it would be a great idea to go shoot up two schools just as the school year starting and things like that. Somebody, they were telling friends because they're so cool and they're like bragging about it and stuff. And then one of their friends who was a, who wasn't an idiot alerted authorities and both these people got arrested. Yes, it is all alleged. So they're allegedly numbskulls. I do think it's funny, though, that they went and bought trench coats because they wanted to be like uh, the Columbine dudes. They even have tattoos of Columbine quotes on their arms. Allegedly. I mean, I guess that's provable, right? I'm like, hey, dude, show me your arm. And he's like, I will allegedly lift up my sleeve. I'm like, whatever. Just show me your arm. Anyways, these two guys are in jail. They had trench coats. They had... That's not all. They actually had more stuff. It's just like there's a bunch of guys who don't like the rain. And the cops are like, oi, oi, oi. And they're arresting them. Guys were bragging they had access to guns and all that stuff. So the cops made a move and they've arrested them so far. And then the county prosecutor goes, listen, it, it could be a case of free speech. It was an interesting thing. The prosecutor's like, it's really... The prosecutor goes, basically, when you're talking about like Columbine and worship... Let me read you the actual quote because it's such a bizarre quote. This is from Fulton County Prosecutor Michael Mars. He said, So, I mean, anytime anyone's obsessed with Columbine, yes, it's a fine line between free speech and when you cross the line. But I think in this case, clearly what they had done was going to interfere with the occupancy of a school. So even the prosecutor's like, yeah, I get it. They could just be LARPing. They actually probably see a lot of that in law enforcement. People have been like, oh, I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to make them all pay. And then the cops investigate it, and it's just like a... An edgy blog on Tumblr, right? And the prosecutor, I guess, yeah, they must come across this a lot. That's a very weird quote from a county prosecutor. He's like, yeah, you know, when it comes to Columbine, sometimes people just really like Columbine. But this was more than that. So the the way that this was going. So anyways, that is the numbskull of the week. That's my new segment. That's my new segment. It starts and ends today. If you want to know more about these guys, 
and their trench coat purchasing history, um, you, it'll be in the show notes. Okay, let's go ahead and move to the actual first story. Tommy, prrr, we're flying that dead rabbit dirigible away from Indiana. We are headed out to Sri Lanka. This is a story that popped up the other day. The ramification, the, the story itself is kind of cute. The ramifications of it can be terrifying. Dirgeable going all the way to Sri Lanka. We're going to go to Aruna, Sri Lanka. Specifically in Aruna, there is the Welikata prison. It's a high security prison. It's where they put all their big bad guys in Sri Lanka. It's July 2020. This just happened last month. Normal day at a prison, at a high security prison. (laughs) As normal as a day you can have in a high security prison. A cat breaks into the perimeter. Not a big deal, right? Cats and rats and stuff like that are always hanging out at prisons. A lot of people adopt them as friends or a little extra snack on the side, you know, a tasty black rat to supplement your top ramen and cheese and crackers. But this cat was no ordinary cat. This cat was a heroin smuggler. Now, when I first read that, I thought, that's dope, right? And then when I kept reading the article, I go, that's even doper than I originally thought. Because not only was this cat, this cat just wasn't, just didn't have some heroin on him and happened into the prison. He knew exactly what cell block to go to. There is a cartel that has been smuggling contraband into the prison. Specifically, this cat had two grams of heroin, some SIM cards, and a microchip, apparently, so uh, Dr. Mindbender could finish building some sort of device to help Cobra Commander escape. When's the last time you've even heard the term microchip? But anyways, this cat is smuggling in a microchip, a couple SIM cards, and two grams of heroin. You know, like, the guy who got the heroin was like, oh, this is so awesome. And then the other guy who gets the SIM cards, he's like, ah, this is this is okay, but I'd rather have some heroin. And then the guy who gets the microchip is like the total nerd of the prison. Everyone's like, boo, throwing stuff at him. He drops his microchip. He's like, oh, no, I'll never find it now. Anyways, this cat gets arrested for smuggling this stuff in. The question is, how many times did this cat actually successfully smuggle stuff in? And the authorities are like, okay, here's the plan. We're not actually going to press charges against the cat, because that's foolish. But we can follow the cat back to its hideout, and then we'll arrest the people who trained the cat. Good plan, right? But before they could do that, guards at a high-security prison, mind you. This is the level of the the employees at this high-security prison. Guards going to feed the cat opened the door and the cat ran out. So I I don't know how many prisoners escaped from this prison on any day, right? The guards are like, lunchtime! People are just scattering in every direction. They're like, oh, no. Anyways, and the authorities, they go, ah, the cat's gone. We can't really track it. But this is what makes this story even more bizarre. They know the cartel that trained the cat because they know where it was going and dropping the stuff off. And no joke, in this article, I'm reading this article, this same cartel previously, before using the cat, had trained an eagle to fly over the prison and drop stuff into the yard. Now, in America, we've been having an issue with drones flying over prisons and dropping off contraband. That's cool because it's kind of like futuristic. But I'd much rather, I'd much rather have an eagle dropping me stuff off. Your clout in prison would be so high if you're just like standing out there playing a little basketball and hearing, ah, ah, and everyone looks up and they're like, oh yeah, Johnny's getting a delivery today. And then a little baggie, you just hold your hand out. A baggie falls in your hand. You might not want to be that obvious about it because then the guards are like, they hear the eagle screech and they're like, oh, get ready to arrest Johnny. He's going to have a handful of microchips. 
It's so funny because I read that and I was like, dude, that's super dope. They did end up catching the eagle. They caught the eagle. They went to like, they had found the eagle before. They'd seen the eagle flying around and they did a raid on the cartel and there was just like an eagle in a cage and they're like, hey, we recognize you. Eagles like gulp. Then I go, I wonder if there are other like criminal animals and stuff. So I went to this article about animals. It's like nine wacky animal criminals. That's exactly what it sounds like when you read the article in your head. And it was like, this alligator. I was like, oh, this is dope, dude. What this alligator do? It's all this alligator is a home invader. It broke into a dude's house. I'm like, that's not a crime. That's not a that. I mean, it is. I can't do that. But that's just an alligator. It doesn't know what a house is. It's just breaking in. They had a, here's a better one. They had a bird who would sit outside of this gas station, like this Aldi's in, in England or something like that. This, you like my notes? You like my notes for this segment? There's this bird who would sit on the sidewalk and the doors would open and close automatically and he would just sit there. And then once he like had a, a, a moment, he'd fly into the store, grab a bag of chips and then fly out and eat them. There, okay, that's kind of more what I'm talking about. But I started to think, Remember back in the day, you don't because we're not 100 years old, but remember like hearing about like the monkey grinders? Was that their own? <laughs> they weren't monkey grinders. They were the organ grinders that had monkeys. The monkey grinders is something totally different. Pay me a dime and I'll grind this monkey right in front of you, lad. You know what I'm talking about? Like, not that, but you give the old man a dime. And he plays the box thing, goes do 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 do. He's like cranking it, and then the little monkey dances for you. You're like, no, Jason, I was not born in the year 1890. I don't remember that. I've seen it on movies and read about it in books. Those little monkey men were trained to like pickpockets. They were like taking money out of your pocket, according to a Rent and Tin comic I saw. So there, my here's my thing with this whole thing. Yes, I am going somewhere with this. We have animals that just do animal things. Like a bear is not a criminal if it breaks into your car and steals all your food. It's just being a bear. And then you can actually train an animal to be a criminal. Where is the limit to that? You know the U.S. military has trained... I've always thought this was one of the funniest stories. The military... The U.S. military had bred these super smart dolphins. And they would help detect mines, like underwater mines... And, to be even funnier, like, that's just, you know, like, a dog can do that. A swimming dog. But these these uh, dolphins would, were also trained so when Russian frogmen, Soviet Union frogmen, were, like, trying to spy at U.S. military bases and stuff like that, Navy bases, they would let these dolphins kind of just float around in the water, and they would see a frogman. They would see like an underwater spy and they would crush their ribs. They would poke them super hard in the ribs and you can't swim with broken ribs and you die. Now, that might not be very funny if you're the Soviet Union. You're like, Jason, that's terrible. That's how my uncle died. He was a frogman. I apologize. But I always thought that was hilarious. But that's not even the funniest part of that story. <laughs> that's not even the funniest part of that story. Tommy, let's take this dead rabbit dirigible out to New Orleans. We're going to New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. That is where they actually had a training facility for these super smart dolphins. It was in New Orleans. And it was connected to the sea, but there was these giant walls. Because you know the military's like, listen, these things are hyper smart. We've trained these things to kill people. Whatever you do, don't let them go. 
And everyone's like, yeah, of course, of course. We're not going to let these genetically... I don't know if they're genetically modified, okay? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm pretty sure they were. But they were, quote-unquote, trained. Trained at the genetic level, maybe. But anyways, super smart dolphins. They were in this enclosure. And everyone's like, okay, this has worked for like 20 years. We've been able to keep these contained. And then Hurricane Katrina showed up. And everyone's like, ah, they're running away. I remember reading about this at the time. It was a sparkle of joy during that time. A horrible misery. That was a horrible natural disaster. But I remember laughing out loud when I came across this article. As like the researchers and the people who worked at the laboratory are like, oh no, what are we going to do? This, this huge hurricane's coming. And then it started flooding. And then the floodwaters started to get as tall as the wall of the dolphin holding pin. And then it got taller. And all the dolphins escaped. All of these super smart dolphins escaped into the sea. And I remember reading an article at the time, and the, the basically, I'll see if I can try to find uh, the article. I'll definitely find an article on it. But at the time, I remember the military is like, there's no way we're, we're not going to be able to catch these things. They're super intelligent dolphins that were trained to like look for explosives and kill people. I mean, you don't want those out there, right? And they just swam away, selectively bred and trained, wink, wink, trained at a molecular level. So they're out there. So you, I, my, my thing is this, is like you can train certain animals to commit crimes. The cat doesn't know he's smuggling heroin, right? The eagle knows something's up. He's a little fishy, but because he eats little fishies. Uh, uh, you like that joke? You don't. But anyways, I'm going to keep it in. You have, you can teach an animal to commit a crime. They probably don't know what a crime is. Those dolphins know that they're murdering Russians. Like, they, they totally are aware of that. Could you get to the point where we, you could train a rhino to smash open a bank vault? You, can you actually train a rhino, I think, would be your first question. But, like, you could have hippos. And stuff, because they're, like, bulletproof, for the most part. I mean, cops aren't walking around with elephant guns. You just, like, unleash hippos into a city, and they're just, like, smashing cop cars and stuff like that. And then you go in, and you're just, like, robbing banks and stuff like that. Like, could we get to a point where if the military is... I've always said this. I always say this. This is the first thing I say when I meet somebody. Generally, technology works like this. First, it works as a military application, and then it works as a criminal application. Bulletproof vests... Invented for the military, and now, you know, 50 Cent can wear one in a music video. But I mean, you know, like, originally it's a military component, and then it becomes a quote-unquote civilian thing, which can be used to protect civilians or to aid in a crime. Tommy guns were invented for the army, and then you had people writing their names on walls. I heart Dick Tracy, just a couple years later. If they're training these dolphins, and now we see criminals also training the house pets, basically to do these things, will we reach a level where criminals are just, like, genetically modifying animals to commit crimes? Not just unleashing a cat with heroin on it, but, like, unleashing a cat, it successfully delivers the heroin, and as it's sneaking out of the prison, it's all, <laughs> and the cat had a bunch of geckos sitting on the cat, so it was completely camouflaged. Can never see it. Although, I guess at that point, you could probably just genetically modify a giant gecko. But yeah, you could have a suit made of geckos, and you're just walking around, and no one can see you. Everyone does wonder why you have a thousand eyeballs. A thousand little eyeballs on you. But, you know, it's modern art, and you're just walking around, and you're perfectly blended in. No one would know. No one would know if it wasn't for that handful of microchips that you're holding. Let's go ahead, Tommy Davidson. 
We're going to stop giving the criminal underworld ideas. Let's hop in that carboner copter. We are headed off to Manchester, Connecticut. We're leaving behind a bunch of octopi. They've taken over the city. One of them is standing in the mayor's office. The mayor's laying motionless, covered in ink. A brave new world, my friends. A brave new world. We're flying away. We're going to Manchester, Connecticut. It's November 6, 1999. It's 2 a.m. There's a man, he's sleeping at home. He's the Reverend David W. Bowser Sr. He's sleeping at home with his wife. And then, Reverend! Reverend! Reverend, open up! What? He gets up and he walks through his house. He looks at the people and he sees two young men standing outside of his door. It's 2 a.m. He thinks he recognizes one of them. But both of them are dressed in all black. And he can see... In the road is a car that contains three more men, also dressed in all black. And it seems that they have some sort of... Is that a sword? Reverend, open up! We need your help! Let's skip to a couple hours earlier. It's the Devil's Hop Yard State Park in East Haddam. There's five young men there in the park. It's late at night. One of them is swinging a baseball bat through the air. The other one has a sword. Shling, shling. The guy with the baseball bat's like, oh man, I can't wait till I get my allowance. I can buy a sword. Guy with the sword's practicing his sword moves. One of the guys is hiding behind a tree. Can you see me yet? Yeah, I can kind of see you. Move, move a little bit more behind the tree. Can you see me now? No, I can't see you. Perfect. Perfect. These five men are martial arts enthusiasts. They just got done with a rigorous martial arts workout back in town. But they said, you know what? If we really want to perfect our ninja moves, we have to go to Devil's Hopyard State Park. This is something they did. This wasn't like a spur-of-the-moment thing. They're like, what should we do, Denny's or pretend we're ninjas tonight? And they're like, hmm, well, we've never done the ninja thing. They'd done this before. I don't know if they've done it at this specific location, but these five guys, they were all 18 or older, by the way like to pretend they were ninjas. They were training themselves in the martial arts, to be fair. But they also just like to pretend to be ninjas. So they would, sw- they swing in the baseball bats, they would do that to build muscle. Swing a baseball bat over and over and over again, you get big. They saw their heroes, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, get totally strong just by swinging a baseball bat. Sammy Sosa, totally natural. We actually believed that in 1999. I, I don't think they'd been exposed at that time, but... Swinging them baseball bats. Now, one of the guys there, his name is Paul Ponatowski. He's practicing his ninja moves, having a good time with his friends. Even if they're not going to be able to take on a Rokosaki anytime soon, it's still just a fun night with your friends. But while he's practicing his ninja moves, he hears... Paul. He hears his voice clearly call out from the darkness. Paul. Leave now, or you'll join us forever. Paul kind of pauses for a second, looks around into the darkness. But he's not the only one who hears it. Paul, Paul, leave now and you'll join us forever. He stops him in his tracks and he asks, Whoa, did you say that? What? Other friend goes, No, I, I heard it too, dude. I heard it too. At that point, playtime's over, right? It, you may not be the master of your ninja game, but you can practice You can practice that at a YMCA. It's time to leave a place called Devil's Hopyard. They decide to leave. Todd Silber, he's the oldest one of the group. He's 23 years old. 
He's getting his stuff together and he hears, <laughs> Joseph Robinson, 18 years old. He looks over where there's a fence line and there's something sitting on it watching them. He described it as beast-like. It definitely wasn't human. More monster than man. But the one word he really used to describe it was a demon sitting on the fence watching them. Everyone seems to be having their own little encounter with this element that's out there. Because when Joseph goes, hey guys, 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 I know you guys really want to pack. I really want to pack too, but what is that? When Paul looks over and sees what Joseph is pointing at, he says he sees a shadow with a jagged edge. At this point, they're on their way out, right? They're not going to have arguments over whether or not it's a jagged shadow or a demon sitting on the fence. They're leaving. At this point, Todd Silver, as he's getting up, he actually gets attacked by this thing. He is picked up and thrown through the air and crashes into a tree. Whoa. Okay, guys, we really should have left. I know we really should have left when I heard that laugh, and I don't know why we stood around for that to happen. Todd Silver looks down, and there's four claw marks on his pants. No! Oh, man, my mom's totally going to kill me. She just bought me these the other day, these ninja pants. Now, they all get in the car, and they're leaving behind Devil's Hop Yard. They all understand something supernatural happened there. Sean Sear, he was one of the kids in the car. He's 18 years old. He's sitting there, and he goes, we need to go to my pastor's house. We need to go to my pastor's house. And they're like, what? And he's like, we need to go to my pastor's house. We can't go home. You just can't go home. Something, what we experienced, we need to be blessed now. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? What did you see, Sean? Sean said, nothing. Sean said he would not, he, not that he couldn't, that he would not describe what he saw at Devil's Hop Yard. He wouldn't. He flat out refused. He goes, but we are not going home. You're not driving around to five different houses and dropping us off and you can go home and play Nintendo 64. But you are taking us to my minister's house, Reverend Bowser, because this isn't over. 2 a.m. they show up at the house. The two men outside the house is Todd Silver and Sean Sear. The other three guys are sitting in the car. Reverend Bowser opens up the door and these two guys start blabbering about demons getting picked up. Oh my god, look at my pants. Oh dude, you won't believe what happened. Sean's here's like, you got it. You, I, I, I think it's still with us. I think this demon's still with us. You got to take care of us. And Reverend Bowser basically does the only thing someone can do when he's confronted by two ninjas and three more in the car. He goes, yeah, yeah. Um, Wait right here. I'm going to go uh, get my blessing tools. I'm going to go do my blessing stuff. He shuts the door, calls the cops and says... Hey, man, it's 2 (laughs) a.m. I got these kids outside. They're not wearing masks, but everything else about them is ninja-related. And one of them has some ripped pants, which is kind of bizarre, but they're talking about demons and stuff like that. Cops roll up, and the dudes in the car did have swords. This was their inventory. They had a 38-inch samurai sword, three knives, a club, four bats, dark-colored clothing, and masks. The cops are talking to the guys in the car. Sean and Todd are at the door. The minister comes back and he's like, listen, you guys just need to calm down. This is super weird. So I did call the cops, but everything's fine. And at that point, the cop comes up to talk to Todd and Sean at the door with the minister. Cop goes, hey, I need to see your guy's ID. That's standard procedure, right? I've been pulled over a hundred times. I've had my ID popped a hundred times. It's just standard procedure. Sean 
starts to shake and then starts to resist the officer's commands. Now, I don't know if they both took a position and then it was ninja versus cop training. It was something dope like that. It was probably just two people kind of pushing each other, but there was definitely a scuffle. Todd's trying to break Sean and the police officer up. Guys, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, he's doing a flying jump kick. Why? Is it super dramatic? We'll just pretend it was, right? But it doesn't matter whether or not it was on the level of Enter the Dragon or if it was just a guy getting pushed and then pushing another person because Sean ends up collapsing. Everyone gets arrested, right? Even Sean is just like laying there. Sean is having a diabetic fit, like low blood sugar or something like that. That's why he begins shaking in the beginning. And maybe maybe diabetics like fighting with police. I don't know. But he had it had a, it was it, complications due to diabetes is what it was called. He's treated for that. Cops arrest everyone. Todd and Sean are charged with interfering with the police, and all the friends were charged with breach of peace and carrying dangerous weapons. Now, like I said, this happened back in 1999. It was in the newspaper. It was in The Current, which is a newspaper out in Connecticut. It's all in the show notes. So I don't know. I don't think these guys actually did any hard time for it. I don't know if these guys are still in jail right now, just waiting for their cat-delivered heroin. Probably not. These charges most likely probably got dropped on some level or another. I don't know if Sean's been cured of his diabetes or if it's still something he has to deal with. But there's an interesting footnote to this whole story. Sean starts scuffling with the cop. Let's go back to that part. Sean's shaking. He starts scuffling with the cop. He collapses. And that's all kind of chalked up to him having an issue with um, low blood sugar and shaking and all that stuff. Fighting with the cop again. Maybe that's a normal diabetes symptom. But afterwards, his fr- the friends were like, Sean, why in the world... Did you think it would be a good idea to take on that cop? Why in the world, would, after everything that had happened, everything, we're just going to check our D's, why did you start fighting with the cops? And Sean looks over at him and goes, that's what I saw. And they're like, what? He's like, when we were at Devil's Hop Yard, remember I didn't tell anyone what I saw? I saw this thing. I saw this thing. And when the officer approached us at the doorstep, he became that thing. That wasn't a cop that came to that doorstep. That was a demon. It's possible that Sean was starting to have some sort of complications due to low blood sugar and hallucinating. Again, I don't know if that's a symptom of diabetes, but a skeptic could say he was a low blood sugar, high adrenaline event, all this stuff. He's seen stuff goes up on this cop. But here's another more chilling way. and We'll end it like this. Sean was insistent that it wasn't over yet, that they had to get blessed by the minister. Couldn't just drop him off at home. This thing was loose. They had to get blessed by the minister. So when they go to the minister's house, what doesn't happen? They don't get blessed. What if Sean was right, and this thing did follow them out of the park? Leave now or you'll join us forever, is what the voice said at the park. What would be the point of taking over an 18-year-old pretend ninja? The minister himself would have protections from such possessions. But if a patrol unit, a cop car coming about to do his duty, now that is someone that a demon could have a lot of fun possessing. By the time the police officer walks up to Sean and Todd, it's already almost in full possession. This demon is now free and in the body of a law enforcement officer. And the only one who knows 
is Sean and his four friends. They were training to be ninjas, but instead, they found themselves on the front line of a supernatural invasion. So the next time you're driving through town, you see those red and blue lights behind you. You know you haven't broken any traffic laws, but you pull over. It's weird because the cop car behind you looks older. It doesn't even look like one from this decade. But the lights keep flashing and the officer walks up to the driver's side of the car, flashlight blinding you. You can't really see who it is. You can't see that the uniform is older. You can't see that the badge is from a different state. But as that officer asks you for your driver's license, you have to wonder, is he pulling you over because he thought you were speeding? Or is he pulling you over because he's looking for a fresh body for one of his demonic friends? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. 500 episodes, season 11. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>